morning. Good morning. Uh, add to that as what Carl was talking about was going on with the congregation back in Jasper. Also keep in mind the North Hamilton congregation, they've got about 12 or 15 cases. That is, a, you know, has been in that congregation, so keep them in mind as well. I know they're struggling with it like any other congregation that's had a surge of that within them. And they're, is it right now, instead, they're kind of split all over the building, meeting, trying to kind of keep everybody as far apart as they can. So that's another congregation to keep in mind. As you well know, we are in a time where the news is never good. Something is going on every day. It is a robbery, it is a murder, it's mass rioting, however we want to look upon and describe it, it is continuing every day on the face of the earth. These are times which we have heard it said it tries men's souls and that is very much true. The crimes at times are only on the local level, so only the local area is aware of what is going on. And they have to put up with it as they listen to what's going on in their own community. But if it's a grand enough, you find on the world news. And it is spread throughout the country. Here's what happened here. And who all was involved in what happened. You can imagine for a moment any community in which some kind of uprising comes along or some kind of murder or other catastrophe of that type brings, as it were, a stigma upon that particular area, whether it's a little small community or large city, there becomes that stigma that that particular area is crime-ridden or it's a high-crime area because of what's going on. But you can also imagine for a moment that stigma, when you look at a family in a small community in which one or more of their children have shot up their classmates in the local school and killed several, you can imagine for a moment every time that parent steps out into the public eye in that community, you know everybody's pointing at them, and you can hear them you know, behind them like this talking about them, about what that child has done. And as we've heard many times, the parents had no idea that their children were even plotting or planning such a thing as this. And you realize after a period of time, it becomes so bad that that family, family finally has to just move out of the area and hopefully move to a place that don't know them and don't know what happened because of that stigma. You're bad because your family committed a crime. You are bad. Stigma. That thing called a tattoo or a branding or a scar that is left to remind you of something. We're all familiar with physical scars that happen to us that we have on our face and other parts of us where we fail in the past or run into something and we have a scar that constantly reminds us of that instant in our life. But at times the worst scars are not the physical ones. It is the mental ones. The words and other things that we have to constantly be put up with being permanently marked because a member of the family has done some horrible deed, and therefore because they have done this horrible deed, the whole family is bad. And they need to be shunned because of what one or two of that family has considered. You can imagine for a moment how that family feels when that happens. And they have to live with that for many, many years for it ever finally, slowly, the story slowly begins to fa finally fade away from people's minds. 
Why do we have to suffer because somebody else has done bad deeds? Makes you wonder at times, don't it? God answers that question. And He answers it in probably one of the most effective ways you can ever imagine it can be answered. It is the prophet Ezekiel. And it is in the marvelous 18th chapter of his marvelous book. There he will address, as it were, his people during a bad time. He is a great prophet of God who lived at the same time as Daniel did. He and his nation, as we know, have been taken captive by the Babylonians. And we already know, as we were able to read back, they would spend 70 years in that captivity as a result of the punishment of what they had done and that remnant would return back to Israel. But you see, Ezekiel and Daniel had almost the same problem. They were suffering because of what their ancestors had done. In other words, they were having suffered the consequences of what their forefathers had done and brought about this captivity, who brought about the end of their nation because they had sinned so badly, God says this is enough and brought it to a halt. And you know that it crossed their mind as it did many of that younger generation who had been born in that captivity scene. This ain't fair. It's not. In their mind, it's not fair. Why should we have to pay the consequences of what others have done? So Ezekiel had a mission. His mission was quite, quite a, a point blank to encourage his people to help them see that there is a lot of hope. Help them understand through this time that they are facing in this time of darkness in their lives and the captivity. But isn't it typical though? Same with them as it is with us. We haven't changed as human beings. When we suffer at the consequences of the sins of others, whose fault is it? It is nearly 99, 100% time God's fault. Because the question that always comes to mind is, and you know as well as I do, why did God let this happen? Why did He let it happen? When you look at Ezekiel, as he writes to his own people, they were those, those at that time who were saying, God's being unfair. Here we're having to suffer something that we didn't do. Our forefathers committed these things. Why are we having to suffer? In other words, God, you're being unequal. You're not being fair. Punish them. Leave us alone. And that's always even today when something happens. What is the first thing? It's God's fault. And God could have stopped this. Why didn't God stop it? Why, am I, why is God making me suffer what someone else has done? Always comes to mind. But listen in verse 25, Ezekiel asked a question. He said, yet you say, the way of God is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? What is it that God, what is Ezekiel trying to say? God is always, and his ways are always equal. They're always equal. 
It is man that is unfair. Oops, did we say that? Yes, we did. It is not God that is unfair. It is man that is unfair. But if Ezekiel were living today, the same thing. He would say today as he would say in his own time. Man is unfair and we suffer the consequences, yes, of what others have done because that's simply part of life. But our God is equal. And if you notice in this chapter, he's going to tell you that our God is an equal opportunity employer. He implores us to do what is right. He implores us to live according to his ways. But the problem then is no different than now. The majority of the world, simply put, ain't listening. Because they do not want to hear it. In other words, Ezekiel's trying to tell us, as he did his own people, we have no right to reproach and accuse God of being unfair. This chapter will point out three things to us. First of all, we have a personal relationship with God. Number two, we have a personal responsibility with God. And thirdly, we have a personal recompense of reward to consider. Listen, as we first of all mention this personal responsibility, look at the first three verses of Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel says, The word Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. This was the common reproach against God. You see, God here, look what our fathers did, yet you're telling us we're having to suffer because of them. This is not fair. The fathers have sinned. They're the ones that caused all of this, yet we're having to reap the consequences. God again, you ain't fair. You're not fair with us. From a physical standpoint, you might could say, I, you can almost understand why this generation is thinking that. Here, they've been in born in captivity, and they didn't ask to be born in yet, and that yet they're suffering all of these things. And yet from their standpoint, you can almost see it from a physical standpoint, why they're angry at their situation. But we, at the same time, have to be reminded of something that we always forget. Our actions today may and will receive reap consequences that future generations will have to deal with, whether they are good or whether they are bad. Our generation's loose behavior is brought upon this world diseases we never thought would ever come upon us. We will deal with them for years to come. Many other things has happened to us that the generations prior to us have brought upon us that we will reap for many years to come. Why? God's fault? No. Our own fault. Our own fault. But it's easier to blame God because He's not around and in our mind He can't do nothing to us. 
if I blame Carl, Carl's going to hit me. But we know we can blame God in God. In our mind, God can't hit us. That's what we're thinking. It still is that sound. That's exactly our thought. Exactly our thought. One thing that has happened that's brought a lot of this upon us, and parents, it is this the lack of spiritual training to the generation that follows has brought a lot of this upon us. That has to be the biggest thing that comes to mind. Yes, there are physical. And yes, there are social consequences to our actions. That's true. We'll look around as it happens every day that affect not only our generation but the others that come after us. But God does not judge the soul unfairly. Society, as we've noted, is unfair. How do we know? Watch this. Neighbors are good of accusing, aren't they? Let a family do something that's bad and now the whole family is bad because the consequences that result by one's actions that was wrong. So society condemns the whole family. (laughs) But here's society's fickleness. Turn that around. Let that young person do something great. Let him do some good deed for neighbor. And all of a sudden society said, well, it's not unfair if Walt Disney lets him come down and go to Disney World free because of what he's done to his neighbors. Everybody wants to thank him for what he's done. We're fickle. Just plain and simple. It's fickle. We condemn them if they don't. We praise them if we do. We can never find right or wrong in some cases. Yeah, we do judge. A lot of times on the basis of association, where it's right or wrong, don't make any difference. That's society. Listen to Ezekiel. In chapter 18, beginning with verse 14, listen to him carefully. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules, and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity, he shall surely live. Verse 20 goes on and says, The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Ezekiel, what did you just say? The father is responsible for his own sins. The son is also responsible for his own actions. Ezekiel simply again saying, yeah, your fathers may have soiled themselves and they may have committed heinous crimes that caused God to carry them off into captivity, but we do not have to follow in their steps. Remember that. 
We don't have to follow in their steps. Why? Ezekiel just told you. Each new generation is responsible for its own actions. So Ezekiel tells us and reminds us, don't excuse yourself on the basis of what others, our fathers have done. Remember the old proverb that we used to say, the apple don't fall, fall from a tree? And he says, or the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. doesn't excuse us anymore. We can arise above our heritage. We are responsible for our own actions. And whether you want to admit it or not, you'll be glad that's the case. You have responsibility, personal responsibility to God for your soul. You also have a personal relationship with God. Verse 4, one of the most poignant statements in all of scriptures. Listen carefully. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. What did Ezekiel just say? God spoke and wrote to this, this man wrote down that God simply said, all souls belong to God. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? We should, shouldn't we? What is he saying? The souls of the children don't belong to the parents. They belong to God. They belong to him. Why? God is the creator of our souls. They belong to him. How do we know? When the soul dies... Where does it go? Whether it's been good or bad. The wise man of old said Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes 12, The dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. You notice he didn't say the old body of clay would go back to God. It's going to go back to the ground where it came from. The soul goes back to God. All souls go back to God. And how God will judge our souls depends upon our relationship with him as each of us individually. Ezekiel makes it very plain. There is no transference of guilt from wicked ancestors to the innocent. And likewise, there's no transference of innocence to the guilty. We can inherit our father's dark hair. You can inherit his blue eyes or his bald head. It makes no difference. We will inherit our father's name and his reputation, whether it's good or bad. But we do not inherit his sin. We do not inherit his righteousness. And this is the most important thing to remember. We don't. Yes, we have a physical relationship with our forefathers and our ancestors. But most importantly, we have that spiritual relationship with God. 
that's most important. Yes. We enter the, we may enter this world with the consequences of what our forefathers have done. You may grow up with everybody reminding you. You remember your grandfather? Remember what he did? Whole country knows what he did. You're part of that family. Automatically in their mind, you're no good. And that's the way the world would judge you. Guilt by association. Guilt, whether you've done anything or not, makes no difference. Society says, remember? And they place you in the category. But watch this. We enter this world with a soul that belongs to God. A soul that is pure, holy, and without stain. We are not born in sin. We're born with a holy, pure, and without stain soul given to us by the Creator. And one other thing we add to that is this. God loves us. Loves every one of us. God doesn't judge us on the basis of earthly relationships. God doesn't look at our genetics, our race, gender, physical abilities. He looks on the inside. He looks into the heart and the soul of man. Everyone is treated the same. God's employment is to every living human being. In other words, put it in our language today, all souls matter. The Apostle Paul, writing to the brethren in Rome, knew that heritage was a big deal to a lot of people. Prior to the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the Jews could trace their ancestry all back to Abraham from 70 till today. They can't do it. It was destroyed. Jews love their heritage. Even some of the many Gentiles love their heritage, where they came from, their long lineage of whatever, and their claim to fame. But Paul reminded them all in that second chapter of Romans, in verse 11, that God is no respecter of persons. So your lineage ain't going to help you. You might have come from some great person. Big deal. God says in in his eyes we're all equal. He treats us all the same way. How will we be judged when we stand before him in judgment? It's going to be based on our relationship that we had with him while we lived on this earth, not what we did with our families. That is fair. That is equal. And you ought to be ever thankful that that's the way our God deals with every one of us. So we have a personal responsibility to God. We have a personal relationship with God. But we also have a personal recompense of reward. To consider. The second part of Ezekiel 18.4 said, The soul who sins shall die. 
Now, if you would listen to many today or listen even in the past, you always got those who take the attitude that God is all loving and all kind and He's the great grandfather in the sky sitting on the front porch looking down on His people and says, Oh, I know they not all done good, but at the end of the day, we're all going to come home and eat together. In their mind that God will never make anyone pay for their sins, At the end of it all, when the trumpet is blown, everybody will end up in heaven and everything will be fine. So we don't have to worry about paying for what we've done while we live on this earth. God will just let it all go because He's too loving to punish anybody. Hell is a figment of our imagination. Hmm. We had better worry, hadn't we? In verse 20, uh, verse 30 of that 18th chapter, Ezekiel writing on behalf of God said, Therefore I will judge you, a house of Israel, every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. What did Ezekiel just say? God's writing to them says, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one, individually, according to his ways. What is it? What's the bottom line, we might say? What is the purpose? We're going to suffer physically as the consequences of others have done. Yes, we have in the past. We are now and we will in the future. We will suffer physically. Many things people will do against us. That's not fair, but that's life. That's life. What we need to remember is this. Quit fretting over the physical inequalities of life and instead... More importantly, consider your own soul. Always keep in mind its responsibilities, its relationship with God, and the recompense of reward that lies on the other side of death and judgment. God's not going to judge you on the basis of what others have done. Whether that was good or whether it's bad makes no it doesn't make any difference. He will judge you on what you have or have not done. The bottom line Ezekiel is wanting us to understand is this. Repent, repent and turn from our transgressions because you don't want iniquity to be your ruin. If you end up in that horrible place called hell, Ezekiel says... It will be cause of your own sins, not the sins of anybody else. That is fair. That is just. That is equality. That is our God. And God every day, through His Word, implores us to consider these matters very carefully.
Ezekiel 18 is probably one of the most important chapters found in all the Word of God. Because it condemns this idea of once in sin, always in sin. It also condemns the idea that we were born in sin. It condemns them flatly and very plainly. But what does it teach? If our soul, if my, your soul is lost, it's not because of someone else's problem. It's because of our own self and our own sins that separate us from God. Others can influence and do bad things, yes. They can talk you into it. They can coerce you, whatever, lead you down the wrong path. But in the end result is, no matter how core much, you know, they're trying to get you going into it and get involved, let me ask you a stupid question. At the end of the day, whose fault is it if you got entangled in it? Don't blame them. You have to blame yourself. They coerced, but you could have always said what? No. No. If we're lost, it's because we've separated ourselves from God. We'll never be able to stand before God and say, Lord, I would have been faithful, but it was somebody else's fault. He's going to look at you and say, no. We can't blame our parents, our ancestors, our children, or anyone else. We are responsible for our own souls. Yes, others can influence it. That is true. They can try the way they can to drag you down. But at the end of the day, you are still responsible for the actions you did in your life. Look at yourself today and ask yourself this question. Is the old song, used to, imitate song you'd sing, Are You Prepared to Meet Thy God? And it is still true. This day, are you prepared to meet the God of heaven if you had to face him in judgment this very hour? If not, then why not? What's wrong? If you're not a child of God, then everything is ready for you to become one of his precious children when you come repeating of the way you've been living, confessing his name before all, and to be buried in baptism and raised to walk that new life, leaving here today on the beginning that road on the right relationship to God, that road that leads to heaven. <clears throat> but this morning, if you strayed from that truth, you once were faithful, but you know now you no longer are. You've allowed sin to overcome you, crowd, out of, crowd God out of your life as it were, and you know what would happen if you were to die today. God's saying to you, come home, child. I'm in the road waiting for you. Come home. And I'll take you back. Just ask him for his forgiveness, which he's promised he will do. If you come with that repentant attitude, he will race it away and remember it no more. While we stand in, while we sing.